This morning, if you have a Bible, an iPhone, or iPad, be finding the gospel according to Moses. I'll give you a minute to find it. It's not fair. I knew where I was going. You have to look it up. The gospel according to Moses. You say, wait a minute, Brother Owens. There are four gospels, and Moses didn't write any of them. Oh, no, friend. There's 66 gospels. 39 in the Old Testament, 27 in the New Testament. The Bible is about Jesus Christ. In type, analogy, illustration, or prophecy, open the Bible. If you miss Jesus, go back and read it because he's there in the shadows. He's there speaking. He's there, again, prophetically or typology or, or any other way the Bible presents it. It's all about Jesus. Dr. W.A. Criswell, one of my real heroes, said you cut the Bible anywhere and it bleeds because it's about the Lord Jesus Christ. Well, have you found the gospel according to Moses yet? Some of you sneaked and looked at the order of service, didn't you? I know what you did. Numbers chapter 21 is my text this morning. I hope you'll follow along as we look at this marvelous, marvelous Old Testament picture of the Messiah. Numbers 21, beginning in verse 5. Have you found it? Tell the preacher, Amen. And the people spake against Moses, against God and Moses. Wherefore have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the wilderness? For there is no bread, neither is there any water, and our soul loatheth this light bread. That's manna. Now, folks, listen to me. Manna is a picture of Christ. Our souls loathe this light bread. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people. And they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Now listen to what the people ask. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the fiery serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that every one that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it on a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when he beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. What a marvelous, marvelous Old Testament picture in analogy, type, illustration, and prophecy of the coming Savior of the world. I want to speak to you in each of the little parts I'm going to say to you, start with R. That's for my benefit, not for yours. We preachers get easily confused. So I want you to notice, number one, the rebellion. That's in verse 5. And the people spake against God and against Moses. Ladies and gentlemen, rebellion is the very essence of sin. If you look at sin, sin is rebelling against God, against God's word, against God's orders, against God's provision. All sin is rebellion. And here the Bible says the people rebelled. They spoke against God and against Moses. There are two things here that help me to understand the very essence 
of sin. Number one, they did not like the way they were being led. That's Moses. Second of all, they didn't like the way they were being fed. That's God's way to feed them. That's the manna. I have found that in church, the reason there is so much rebellion against preachers is because people are rebelling against God. It's hard to get a hold of God, but you can rebel against the leader. That's why so many of our churches are in neutral. They're fussing and fighting over inane things, things that have no eternal value. And it's because they're mad at God, therefore they can't take it out against God because they're very religious people. So they rebel against the preacher. They rebel against the leadership. They rebel against those who are put in authority over the church. Nothing has really changed. When the people rebel against God, they often rebel against God's man. And so here, they, they don't like the way they're being led. They don't like the way they're being fed. And I'm telling you, there's a lot like that in a lot of our churches. I'm so glad this church has a history of not doing that. And I'm so glad you've got a new pastor coming who's not going to let you do that. Amen. We've, we've got too much to do to sit around and bellyache and gripe and complain at one another when we have a world that is lost and coming to Daytona this morning. I drove up in the parking lot and there were four jets did final approach. Four private jets did final approach. And I sat there only about five minutes. And I'm, are any of you here this morning that was flying in this morning? Where are they? They're at the track. Thank God there's some folks out at the track who are talking to them about Christ. We live in a world of opportunity. And Daytona Beach is destination opportunity for a lot of people. But there's rebellion. There's a rebellion everywhere. But not only do I want you to see the rebellion, I want you to see the retribution. And the word retribution means punishment inflicted for a wrong act. Somebody does something wrong and there's retribution because of that. And the punishment that you receive is because you've done something wrong. Here we see this, this serpent, the, the fiery serpent among the people. And, and you, when you say the word serpent, you almost can hear the hiss. Serpent. Sin. Well, we go all the way back to the beginning, and that's how it all began, with a hiss of a serpent. And sin became well known to man. There's several things about this serpent I want you to notice. Number one, he bites. And the bite was fiery. Don't you love the King James? It means it stings. It means it hurts. That means it was painful. And we need to understand that sin, there is no lasting goodness in sin. Let me just tell you it another way. There's no lasting pleasure in sin. Oh, there's pleasure for a season. They have a good time, hot dog, whoopee. But then afterwards come the, comes the, the backside of sin. And I'm just here to tell you as a sinner who's been saved by grace, there's no good thing in sin. If you want to see sin in its final form, look at Jesus Christ on a cross paying for the sin of the entire world. It's fiery. But not only is it fiery, it's fatal. 
The Bible says that those who were bitten and much people of Israel died. You know, back in the 60s, there was a popular drug called LSD. Well, LSD's been around a long time. The Bible says when lust is conceived, it brings forth sin. When sin is fully developed, it brings forth death. L-S-D. The end result of sin is death. Ezekiel chapter 18 verse 4 says, The soul that sinneth it shall die. Romans 6 verse 23 says, The wages of sin is death. The end result of sin, sin that has not been paid for by Jesus Christ on the cross, when we refuse to receive the, the, the blessing of the forgiveness of our sin, that sin will bring an eternal death an eternal separation from God in a literal place called hell. Hell is not some figment of some monk's imagination back in the first century. Hell is more real than Daytona Beach, Florida. There will come a time Daytona Beach, Florida will not be. There will not be a time when hell will not be. And the people who are in hell are this morning crying out, crying out as they live in what the Bible says, a blackness of blackness forever and constant torture and constant pain and constant memory of the fact they don't have to be there. They could have chosen to receive forgiveness of their sin through Jesus Christ and they could spend a literal eternity in a place called heaven. The rebellion, the retribution, but I must hurry because I want you to see the remedy. The remedy for the rebellion, the remedy for the retribution. Look at verse 7. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Notice how they began. We have sinned. That's a good place for a remedy. That's a good starting place. But I want you to notice something, ladies and gentlemen. They said, Moses, pray that God takes away the fiery serpent. And the Bible says Moses prayed for the people. But now listen to your interim pastor. He didn't take away the serpents. But he gave them provision for dealing with the serpents. <laughs> that was a good place for an amen. Some of you, I slipped up on you. I understand that. You see... People say, well, look at all that's going on in this world. Look how bad it is. Why doesn't God just stop it? Could he? Yes. But he's not going to. What he's done is he's given us provision for living through all the bad things, all this stuff down here that we brought on ourselves. And so God doesn't take away the pain. God doesn't take away the uncomfortableness. There are times in my life I wish he would. There are times in your life you wish he would. You don't like it, and I don't like it. But you see, when we realize I can't figure this out myself, I'm totally trusting upon him. Totally. I don't even understand why I'm going through what I'm going through. But I can trust by faith that you have a reason. God revealed that reason to me so that I can make changes in my life so that then you can have the power to flow through my life. What happens then? I'm drawn closer to him. 
I'm drawn closer to him. That's why Paul could say, I glory in the infirmity that I have. Because when I'm weak, he's strong through me. Amen. Amen. We don't like this. Oh, I know we don't like this. And I know there's a lot of preachers on television that are telling you just smile and be happy and everything's going to be fine. Folks, you can smile and be happy all you want to and the fiery serpent's not going to leave. What you need is provision to make it through the fiery serpent, to make it through on the other side. And when you do, God's blessing, God's presence, God's very nurturing of you will make it all worthwhile. What was the solution? He says, put a fiery serpent on a pole. Now, we read on down, you'll find out fiery means brass. A metal serpent on a pole. Brass in the Bible is symbolic of judgment. Judgment. Every time you see brass used, there's judgment implied in typology. And so, you have a serpent on a pole made of brass. What does that represent? What does that represent? That represents sin being judged. That represents that serpent being judged. What does that represent, class? A plus. Who said that? A plus. That's Jesus. The fiery serpent is Jesus Christ. Oh, preacher, there you go again. You're kind of stretching this, aren't you? Must not have had too much time last night to work on this sermon. You're just kind of working it in here and just... No, I'm not working it in. That's what the Bible says. In fact, Jesus says it to us. John chapter 3, verse 14. Well, let's back up to verse 13. It's all good. John 3, verse 13. And no man hath ascended up to heaven... But he that came down from heaven, even the Son of Man, which is in heaven. And look at verse 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, comma, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Verse 15. That whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have eternal life. The serpent, the brass serpent, the serpent being judged is in type, a picture foreshadowing Christ on the cross. If I be lifted up, Jesus said, I'll draw all men unto myself. That's why we preach the cross. That's why the cross is so important. That's why there are people today, even in good old places like Texas, don't want the cross displayed. Thank goodness for some churches that said, we're not taking the cross down. We're going to lift the cross up. The serpent on the pole is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. There's several things about this remedy. The brass serpent on a pole. Number one, it was God's remedy. There was one way. God didn't say put a brass serpent on a pole and go over here and march around four times and shout hallelujah. He didn't say, go over here and kiss a rock and bow down four times to the sun when it comes up. No, there was one remedy. Anyone who looks at the serpent on the pole lives. Preacher, that's rather narrow-minded. Then talk to God about it. God has one way, one way 
Neither is there salvation in any other. There's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved than the singular exclusive name of God's one and only Son, Jesus Christ. And if you don't like it, take it up with God. I'm sorry. That's what the Bible says. God had one Son, and it is through the one Son that you and I have forgiveness for sin. But not only was it God's remedy, it was the only remedy. There's no other name. There's no other way. There is an exclusivity to Jesus Christ. Jesus is not one of the ways to heaven. He is the only way to heaven. But not only was it God's remedy and the only remedy, it was a sufficient remedy. Notice, he doesn't tell the people, depending on where you're bit, you look at the brass serpent. He doesn't say, depending on how many times you've been bit, you look at the brass serpent. No, it didn't, mean, it didn't matter where you've been bit, how many times you've been bit. There's one remedy, Jesus Christ. Are you here this morning and you're a young person? You haven't lived very long, but there's sin in your life. But not a lot. I mean, you're just a young person. You haven't lived long. Jesus Christ is a remedy. Are you an old codger here and you've been living like hell all your life? Jesus Christ is the remedy. It doesn't matter. Young, old, middle-aged. It doesn't matter if you've been in outright rebellion against God or if you're a young person just stumbling your way through life by yourself. There's one remedy, and it is a sufficient remedy. It is the Lord Jesus Christ himself. It's the serpent on the pole. It is sin being judged, and it's right there before you. It's a never-failing remedy. Everyone who was bitten lived. Everyone. Everyone. You know, you, you hear stories about a, a young child raised in a Christian home, and at a very young age, they realize Christ died for them, and they come and by faith say, I, I want forgiveness for my sin. I want Jesus Christ to come into my life. I want to go to heaven when I die. And that precious child is immediately, immediately saved. You have some old guy that's just a retrobate, and he's on his deathbed. And he realizes, what a fool I have been. And he lifts up his eyes toward the ceiling and says, Oh God, I remember going to church and hearing that Jesus Christ could forgive me of my sin. And he asked Christ to forgive me. He's saved. He's saved. You say, well, Brother Owens, I, uh, what, what's, the, what's the difference here? Well, you've got a young child here. You say, well, it, it can't mean much for a young child. Listen, that child's going to live their entire life for Christ. This old guy, he's not much time left. He doesn't have a life to live for Christ. That's why we come to Christ when we're young. Not only does it take a lot of the wear and tear out of living life when we have faith in God's Spirit living in our life, but we can be an example, an ambassador for Jesus Christ. We can be a trophy of His grace and His mercy that the world can see that there's a difference in knowing Christ. It makes a difference in my life. I'm not upset about some of the things that everybody else is upset about. Why? Because Christ is in my life. 
I'm not worried about some of the things that everybody else is worried about. Why? Because Christ is in my life. I've told you this before. What's the worst thing that can happen to Glenn Owens this morning? The worst. I die. Somebody called Susan and said, boy, he was preaching good. <laughs> He's gone. I said preaching good. Amen? Amen. That's the worst thing that can happen to me this morning. To be absent from the bodies, to be present with the Lord. Look, anything in between that and going home in a little bit, I can handle it because I have Christ in my life. Oh, he's sufficient. Have you tried him? He's sufficient. Wherever you are in your life, whatever you've done in your life, Christ is sufficient, the never-failing remedy. Oh, the rebellion, the retribution, the remedy. But last but not least, and all God's people said amen. The requirement, verse 8, and the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent and set it upon a pole, and it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. Now listen to me very carefully. I'm closing. They had to look. They had to look. God made the provision very apparent, and he told them what it was. Do this and you live. But they had to look. This morning, God's provision for your sin has been paid for at Calvary. But there's something you have to do. It's the look of faith. It's the look of faith. God is not going to make you look. God is going to grab you by the nap of the neck and make you look. Because he wants you and your spirit and your soul to willingly decide, I need help. And that help is the look of faith. And so I turn and I look at the cross of Jesus Christ. And when I do that, and when I say to him, I am a sinner by nature, practice, choice, and habit. I know I'm a sinner. And I know you're a perfect God and I'm alienated from you. There's a great gulf between the two of us. But Christ is that bridge who has bridged that gulf. And by faith, I take a step on that bridge. And when I ask Christ to be my Savior and Christ to be my Lord, and immediately, instantaneously, I'm changed. Oh, listen, friend, I'm changed forever. Ever. Nothing can undo it. I'm forever changed. It's something that I have to do. But I want you to notice it's easy. You see, heaven is a free gift. You have to work your way to hell. Heaven is free. But you have to work it going to hell. But not only was it easy, it was essential. My friend, you must do it. You must do it. And not only is it essential, it's personal. Now listen to me very carefully. No one can do it for you. Just because mom and dad are Christians doesn't mean you've inherited it. Just because grandmother and granddaddy are Christians doesn't mean by osmosis, you being around them, you got the Christianity bug. 
You have to do it. The Bible says each person that looked, when they looked, they were saved. You have to do it. No one can do it for you. The preacher can't do it. If I could, I would, but I cannot. I can't do it for you. You have to do it for yourself. That's why we use the term to be born again. Why why do we use that term? Why don't we say you have to be enlisted again or you have to be transferred again? Because being born is a one-time only thing. I, I can't be born for you. You're born for you. Nobody is born for you. It's a personal thing. It's a one-time thing. It's something you have to decide to do. But my friend, it's also elective. Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. I've been preaching now for a number of years, and it's amazing to me the strangest things people say. Take them back to this Old Testament picture and listen to what people will say today as it relates to that well preacher I tell you what that's a good sermon preacher I really appreciate you coming down here especially on race weekend battling the crowds but I tell you what preacher there's people in your church bitten worse than me no that may be true but if you've been bitten, you've been bitten. If, if, if you're estranged from God, it doesn't make any difference what the guy in the pew next to you has done or not done. You're lost. You're lost. You're lost. And until you decide to do something about it, sweet friend, you're going to stay lost. And your soul's going to be in hell before the undertaker knows you're dead if you die outside of Christ. You must make the decision. It's something for you to do. It doesn't matter what somebody else has done or hadn't done. It doesn't matter whether they're better or worse or gooder or better. Or, it doesn't matter than you. You have to make the decision. I've talked to some people and say, well, preacher, you're probably right about this, but I tell you what, preacher, I, I, I tell you, I kind of like my snake. And he's standing there and there's a snake dangling from his hand. I kind of like it. I know some folks that won't come to Christ because they don't want to give up their sin. I would come to Christ, but there's just certain things I enjoy about sin, and I don't want to give it up. It's like the guy standing there with a snake hanging on him. How stupid. You probably shouldn't say that, preacher, in this intelligent uh, atmosphere we're in today. You shouldn't call people stupid. Well, if you've got a snake hanging from your hand, you're stupid. I kind of like my snake. Stupid. Capital S. I know some other excuses people have. Well, I'm just waiting for a healing feeling. I would kind of get rid of this, but I'm waiting for a feeling. I was talking to a young man years ago down uh, uh, in the Miami area after church, and I said, why won't you come to Christ? He said, I'm waiting for a feeling. And I said, okay, what feeling are you waiting on? He said, I don't know. 
I said, then how are you going to know when it happens if you don't know what you're looking for? Well, that's a good question, preacher. I never thought about that. This is number two, stupid. Jesus Christ didn't say get a feeling, then look at the snake. Jesus said, by faith, trust the look. My friend, listen to me. If you'll do that, God will give you more feeling than you've ever possibly could have imagined. But he's not going to make you do it. He wants you out of your own free will to do it. Not that you have a feeling. You know, I'm a minister and I've married a lot of people in my ministry. I mean, a bunch of people. And they're standing before me and there's all sorts of things that happen in a, in a wedding. Sometimes they get the giggles. You know, do you take this man to be your... <laughs> your lawfully... <laughs> <clears throat> tone it down a little. Do you? <laughs> and, and I mean, they, some of them get a handkerchief out there crying. They're, they're just so nervous and they start laughing. I was doing a, a wedding in Dallas one time and uh, I, I looked at the, at the lady and her eyes were kind of going, and I said, She's about to faint. He said, What? <laughs> Boom. We got her some water, propped her up in a chair, and I finished the ceremony, you know. I, I've had people, especially guys, no emotion, scared to death. Big talk back there. Walk out here. But you know, whether they giggle, whether they faint, whether they laugh, or whether they cry. When I give them words to say, and they repeat them back as their words, they're married. Just like that. You know, the same thing happens. You say, Brother Owens, I'm not sure I know how to address the fiery serpent on a pole. I'll give you the words. I'll tell you what to say. When you say them and mean them from your heart, guess what? Saved. Because they're not my words. They're your words when you repeat them. All of a sudden, there's buy-in on your part. Listen, the words are important, but they're not as important as what's going on in your heart. I believe I've led people to faith in Christ who got the words even mixed up. But when I looked in their face, I knew it was real. It was real. They don't have all the theology worked out. Neither do you and certainly neither do I. But whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God made it simple to save somebody like Glenn Owens. God can make it simple for somebody like you. Let's go back 3,500 years out into the desert. It's a terrible picture. There are people crying. There are hurried graves being dug. There's families shattered because there's death everywhere. Let's focus in on a house. 
There's a man lying on his deathbed. He's been bitten several times. Already his body is beginning to swell because of the poison that's going through his, his veins. You see, he's, he got the snake off, but the poison's still there. Just like sin, you can shake the snake off, but the poison's still there. His wife comes running in. She says, honey, oh, honey, honey, listen, you're not going to believe what I just heard. Moses talked to God, and God told him to make a fiery serpent and put it on a pole. And anybody who looks at the serpent can live. Honey, honey, let me prop you up and pull the temp flat back a little bit. All you have to do is look. He said, what are you saying? All you have to do is look. Don't tell me about some stupid superstition. I'm not about to do something. Can't you see how much turmoil and hurt I'm in? And you want me to do something like this? I'm not going to do it. Honey, all you have to do is look. I'm not going to look and you quit talking to me about this stuff. And so he dies. For the preaching of the cross is foolishness to them that perish but to us who are saved it is the power of God unto salvation do you know Christ do you know Christ has your sin been judged yes it has it was judged a thousand years ago on a cross Have you received the forgiveness that comes by faith from saying, I want to be saved? All you have to do is take a look of faith at the brass serpent on a pole. Amen? Let's bow in prayer. Heavenly Father, thank you for this marvelous Old Testament picture of Christ that has so much practical application to our lives today. And just as the sin that was depicted by the venom in the veins, today our sin is coursing through our bodies. It takes the blood of Jesus Christ to clean all that up. It takes the look of faith. So this morning, Lord, if there's somebody here who's never trusted Christ, I pray this would be the day they would say yes to Christ. Maybe there are others here this morning who are Christians, fine Christians, but we've let our faith kind of wither through apathy, neglect, unconfessed, unrepented of sin. We're just not where we used to be in a vibrant relationship of faith with you. So, Lord, I pray this morning, if some need to come to this altar and clean their act up, start over anew and afresh and claim the promises of 1 John 1, 9, that if they confess their sins, you are faithful and just to forgive them of their sins and to cleanse them from all unrighteousness. They're not saved again. We're saved once and for all, now and forever. But we get to start over anew and afresh. What a glorious time with the coming of a new pastor to clean out the attic of our life, some of the stuff that we know we don't need, we don't want, and is actually a detriment to our life. 
Maybe there are others that need to come and join this church by letter or statement or any other way she would receive members. Lord, may your spirit move on hearts today and may we do what we know we need to do to answer the call of Christ. For I ask this solely in his name and solely for his sake. Amen.